Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Carrier's Edge podcast. Episode 37, and it is an odd episode, an odd-numbered episode, which will probably become an odd episode as well. Probably. I am Mark Morrell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. I'm Jane Jazrowi, the other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. I was just thinking mm-hmm. that we should start calling these episodes like friends, the one with, <laughs> except I never know what it's going to be about. The one with some unknown subjects. Yeah. The one with a rambling conversation. Yeah, they'd all have the same title. No, we can make a title after. <laughs> the we one just have to with... go back and record the intro. Yeah. 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 So we you, could... I interrupted you. What were you going to say? I don't even remember. Okay. I don't even remember. Something that would start this. Okay, so let's start. Welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast, episode 37. All right. Um, so... Now I've totally lost my train of thought. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. See, this is why I don't talk very much. I just sort of let you go because I start to have something. I have a great thought. It's going to be awesome. And I say the very bit of it at the beginning and then you interrupt and go in some other direction. I totally forgot. It's always valuable for you to complain about me for the first 10 minutes of this podcast. So let's talk about a subject. You have to be nice to me today. Yes, I know. I had a dream you broke up with me. <laughs> yes, Jane had a, a dream that I was very angry with her. Not that you laughed. So now she has to be nice to me, t- at least for half of the day today. Not that, you know, that was breaking up like we were in high school. You broke up with me. That's <laughs> it was very upsetting. Yes. It's not nice when you have dreams like that because they're very... They seem very realistic and logical at the time. And you wake up and go, oh my God, what happened? Mm-hmm. You've had those dreams too. I have had those kind of weird dreams, yeah. And Where even I've though been you know mad it's not at you, real, yeah. your mood totally shifts for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. a very weird feeling, and I'm going to attribute it to stress. So okay, well there, there we, go. we go. So, well, we can start on the uh, the subject of stress. We can talk about the thing that you mentioned just before we started, which was a a shout out to somebody who has endured a massive 24 hours of stress and still seems to be breathing at the other end of it. You want to give us the update on that? Yes, we um, sponsored Kimberly Buyback, who is a uh, who works with Sharp Transportation uh, for the Baycrest Foundation Seal Fit Challenge. And Seal Fit is basically this very aggressive um, uh, challenge, uh, like a, a fitness challenge. And she, there's three different versions. There's a 24 hour, a 12, and a six, I think. And she did the 24-hour challenge. It was basically you had to do grueling, grueling stuff. For like be in ice-cold water, uh, run, hike, push-ups, uh, like all of the nasty, you know, pull-ups, all of the nasty exercises that you have to do, plus carry people on your back and incredible amounts of fitness challenges. It's not even human. And um, so she's been working on this for months and months and months. And she completed the challenge on the weekend, this past weekend, which I guess was around the 17th sure, of September. 20th. A- oh, okay. Days, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so she completed it. it was, there was seven of them out of 24 that completed the 24-hour challenge. Wow. So, yeah, I know. It's so impressive. So, well done, Kimberly. I can't imagine exercising for two hours, let alone 24. I- <laughs> Well, she had, I don't know, I don't know if she's, I should send her a message and ask her if she's, what she's eaten now, 
because she was basically, she just was muscle. That was it. Mm -hmm. It was like bone and muscle on her by the end of it. So, um, and now, uh, well, you know, we'll have to see how she fared. Because I'm wondering what it's like, you know, you train so hard and Olympic athletes are like this too. Mm -hmm. You train so hard for something and then you finally do it. And then what do you do? Like, what do you, what do your body is used to mm -hmm. exercise? Like when you exercise, your body wants more of it. So if you, it doesn't necessarily like it that much when you stop. Hmm. So I highly doubt she's going to stop cold yeah. turkey, but. Well, I had a friend who was a bodybuilder and in the weeks coming up to a competition, they changed their diet and, and really diet quite harshly to burn off the fat and dehydrate themselves and get rid of all of that liquid so that they can just be as lean and as cut as possible. But like as soon as the competition was over, they are heading out and scarfing everything that they can see. So it would be, it's like these people getting, when they get uh, voted off survivor, they just go and they have this mountain of food and they eat like three meals all at once. I don't think that she actually was dieting that much. She was, she was always wanting to eat more because she was just yeah. burning off all the energy. And I forgot to mention that she raised $8,000 for nice. the foundation yeah she did she apparently she had to get to five thousand but she mm. surpassed that in the last couple of months actually so cool. she, yeah so and what does baycrest foundation do um i'm not totally positive but it was about dementia programs oh, okay. so that's what the and i don't know if that's all they do or if that's just part of what they do but that's what she was raising money for i think it might be their main focus so nice so, okay. yeah, but if you do want to find out more information about it, I believe that you can just look up Baycrest.com or Baycrest Foundation if you do a Google search. Probably not. Probably .org. Yeah, no, or .ca because it's Canadian. Okay, excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, that uh, makes me feel extremely lazy and out of shape. Um, so I suppose I will be, after this podcast, getting my butt moving to do something. <laughs> At least for five minutes until the moment passes. We went shopping yesterday. <laughs> there you go. We walked around the mall. Yeah. <laughs> but it was difficult. I had lunch with the Kimberly. Um, we have lunch every so often. And the last time we had lunch, she just wanted to eat stuff that was like severely fattening. Mm. And so for her, she can eat that and... And, you know, five minutes later, the metabolizing has just basically yeah. pushed it out of her system, whereas me, it just sits on my hips for a while. Mm. So. Oh, well. All right. Well, congrats, Kimberly. That's mm -hmm. excellent, excellent work. So other congrats in order. Um, news that I think came out a couple of days ago, but we just discovered it this morning because... We are so buried in things we sometimes miss headlines and stuff. Well, yeah, you get a lot of news items that come out one after the other, and there's only so much time you have in a day. So yeah, so there's a couple of things actually. Well, the big one that uh, I think is a very interesting shift is the uh, the change at women in trucking, mm -hmm. which is timely since uh, that event. Their big conference is next week, and it looks like it's going to be an awesome event. Um, they've got like a nearly a thousand people registered for it, which floors me. Or something, a conference that's like four years, five years old, uh, to get that much uh, pre-registered attendance is fantastic. And they announced earlier this week that they have a succession plan for founder and CEO Ellen Voy. So this is excellent. Ellen has done a fantastic job of building that thing um, and um, passing the reins. It's unclear exactly when, but over the next couple of years, it seems, passing the reins to 
the fine and uh, always underrated Debbie Sparks. Yes. We're happy to see coming back into the trekking space after uh, two and a half years at Reese Across America. Yes, it's pretty exciting. It'll be nice. It's weird. It's kind of because uh, we worked with Debbie really closely at the Truckload Carriers Association. So it's going to be kind of uh, odd to have her back at another association that we work with mm-hmm. or that we are members of. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, she'll do a fantastic job there. So very good to see. And uh, if they're talking about Ellen retiring from WIT, she has more than earned that. Yes. I'm not sure what the schedule is. I don't know what, for it, well, she's kind of the same as Kimberly's, that she's been doing all of these things for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, she's been doing so much traveling and speaking and just on, on the go all the time. It's going to be interesting to see what she does in her next chapter. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, her conference is next week. Um, that neither of us is going to be at it, but we will have a presence there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have yet to go to this event. I keep wanting to, but it's always at a sort of weird time in scheduling. So maybe next year I'll have a chance to get to it. But uh, other business to talk about. Well, let's see. What have we got? What have we been working on? We have been working on... Oh, no, I think we should talk about the other news that came out in today's trucking. Okay. About Rolf. Oh. Yes. Yes, we should give a plug for Rolf, Yes. Okay. Uh, Rolf Vanderswag, who is the the CEO of Technicom. Also, you may know him as the author of the practical series, including practical cargo securement, practical vehicle inspection, practical... Air brakes. Yeah, yeah, practical air brakes is the big one. Um, And we are partners with him, and our cargo securement course is based on his practical cargo securement. Um, And uh, he was highlighted in today's trucking this week as uh, one of the top... 10 pioneers in the trucking industry, and I think mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. So as he's the first one highlighted as the professor, mm-hmm. they all have character names. So mm-hmm. there's the professor and the, um, oh, I can't remember any of the other ones. Uh, there's the car guy and you know, things like that, the, uh, the data guy. So yeah, it's good to see because Rolf is one of these guys who has been toiling away sort of behind the scenes for years. And when we talk to him, he is regularly wading through the swamp that is government regulations. And not just understanding regulations, but all of the committee work that's involved in creating these things and dealing with the interpretations and the different regional variations of them and getting all of these groups working together. So he did that here a few years ago with the National Occupational Code for Truck Driver in Canada and then used that as the basis for the uh, uh, standards for the entry-level training in Ontario and is now working on the same thing sort of cross-country, a national standard, but every province wants to do their own thing. So um, you get a lot of regional stuff where uh, if Ontario did it, then Alberta will never consider it. They must do the opposite. Um, and the prairies don't want to do what uh, BC is doing, and Quebec wants to do its own thing. So they have all of those issues to deal with. So he wades through all of that, uh, hacks his way through the jungle, and comes out the other end with a standard 
a set of content that he can put into a, a reference guide. It's very useful for the industry. And uh, it is, uh, man, it's saintly work that he's doing because I sure wouldn't have the patience to deal with all of those different fiefdoms and uh, uh, political battles and uh, personal agendas and all of that. Uh, but he gets through it and uh, turns it into some great stuff. So it's really nice to see him getting profiled. Um, and his his stuff is always very solid and is often the first source of information that is actually documented somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's the challenges that I know you've had in courses over the last little while is uh-huh. there's so much information that's just in people's heads. Um, it, it doesn't get documented. So he actually gets that stuff documented. Um, so it's really nice to see a profile on him. So yes, kudos to Rolf on that. So any other partners that we should be congratulating? We'll just have a whole segment where we uh, <laughs> just talk about everybody else's achievements. Um, Trying to think if there was anybody else on that list that was that we know. Um, I don't think so. All right. Or I, well, my, we'll have an, an ongoing segment of the first five minutes of the podcast. Will be shout outs to all our partners. Well, if something happens, then we should. Yeah. We generally do if we true. know. That's true. Yes. That's because uh, that is something you know. That's news. It's beyond you and just talking to you. <laughs> it is. It's <laughs> Let's talk about something news. else. It's yeah. In a real magazine. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes, very exciting. Um, good stuff there. Um, I did want to have an update on some of the things that we've been working on because um, when we last did a podcast, we were nearing completion on some things and we are finally getting there and you've uh, cranked out some new titles and you're nearing completion on a couple more. So give us a quick update on how things are going on the content side. We have finished cargo securement cargo securement in french and spanish is out now that needs to be said a second time because those are monumental projects they were monumental because it's not just one it's not just a course it's not just like a a 30 minute module this is it's like a dozen modules yeah in total it's about a dozen because the core each course itself is um four five no it's five modules it's but it's five that are split between uh open deck like flat deck trailers and cargo vans so there's a version for cargo vans there's a version for flat decks there's mini modules that are basically the full course split up and that was done for two different languages so it's two massive amounts of content so we have and isn't there a regional Oh, I guess there's regional variations for Canada. Right. So the there's US, a, can- a Canadian the one and a. French is the Canadian one and the, the Spanish is the US one. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in getting yeah, that finished. Yeah. And you think, people think that doing a translation is, oh, that's not so bad. You're just translating something you've already done. But it's actually, you really go through almost the same process. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have to write it. You still, translation isn't just you know, taking a word and decoding it. It's not like Google Translate or Babel or anything like that, where you just, you know, plug it in and it spits something out. That process takes a lot of work. So that can be, you know, well, two even or three once weeks. the translation part is done, you you've still got to put have it to, into the course and you've got to make sure everything fits and you often have to uh, adjust. do layout adjustments. Yeah, and you have to update a lot of your diagrams and images and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then all of the voiceover work that has to be done. So 
and the test questions and all of these pieces that all need to be updated. So yeah, there's a lot of work in that. And uh, and just reviewing it and making sure that it's okay. And also we have templates that we use for, so that all the courses look the same. And there's a special one that we use for the practical the practical cargo securement course because it's somebody else's branding, right? Yep. So um, the the content actually has the practical branding and there wasn't, I had to get a new template made for French and Spanish because when you have different languages, you need a full set of different templates. So there was a lot of things that went into that. Mm-hmm. And I actually, that talking about that process, we had a, I went through, um, we were talking, we had a staff meeting where we were talking about the whole course development process and just how long, how much goes into that because you have, you start with research, which takes up quite a bit of time because it's very difficult to find accurate and double check everything. And it, it, it's, there's a lot of time spent there, but then you're doing all the writing first and that takes a while. And then once you do that, then you have all the images and the movies and all of the, all of those multimedia aspects that you want to put in there. And then you put it online, which is a whole other mm-hmm. with a whole other task where you're trying to, you know, create interactivity. And it's not we're not just slapping text on a page. We're building something. It's, I guess, a very loose analogy is like building a website. It's not. It's mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of web pages that all connect together. So it takes a really long time to do. And you do it in English, and then for translation, you basically have to do all of the same things in Span- in whatever language that you're mm-hmm. doing. So we did that. Um, Weights and Dimensions is going to be out in October. I've got voiceover for uh, the American version, and uh, it's going to be going out for the Canadian version uh, by the end of this week. So as soon as we get that back and in, then they'll be out. So we're looking at the middle of October, middle to end of October. And uh, the safety committee course that we're doing, that's for the federal regulations in Canada, is going to be ready same time. Hmm. So those are all coming out. Right now I'm working on... um, it's a module for cargo securement for heavy vehicles. And oh, no, the heavy equipment one. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the thing is, in the States, it's heavy equipment and machinery and vehicles. Mm. But in Canada, it's part of divisions. So there's the cargo securement main rules, and then there's all the, the special requirements. But they're known as divisions in, mm. in Canada. And Division 7 is, heavy, is, is vehicles as cargo. So there's three parts to vehicles as cargo. Right. There's carrying crushed cars, there's carrying light vehicles, and there's carrying heavy vehicles. So a crushed car still counts as a vehicle? Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's a vehicle. It has, hmm. it has tires and it can roll. I mean, even if it's... Oh. I, I haven't done anything with crushed cars. Well, I can see the tractors and road graders and all of that stuff would be counted as vehicles. Because mm-hmm. you can but they're drive heavy. Them. You can drive them. And regular cars, certainly. But a crushed car seems like it barely meets the criteria for a vehicle. But I suppose it could technically roll. But if you are, yeah, and vehicles as cargoes, you know, you may, I don't know what other kind of group. Do you want to do your own 
you know, a separate group for that, or do you want to just throw it in with vehicles? I don't know, but that's how they do it in Canada. I haven't really looked at um, the specifics for that one because right now I'm really working on heavy vehicles. Hmm. So that's a specific part of a division, whereas in the U.S. it's more a little bit more general. And the weight requirement, the weight limit for um, for the two for the two countries is different. So. Hmm. that's always fun. Yeah. And well, it was a good thing you just finished a course on weights and dimensions. So you're all, I'm all, I'm all up measuring. on, well, it's really, it, it's just, you're considered a heavy vehicle at a different weight limit hmm. in Canada than the U S I think that's what it is. I don't have it written down. Okay. I don't remember. Um, so that one's, that one's going to be coming out and that's a pretty short one. So that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the epic journey that Weights and Dimensions was. <laughs> it's just an epic, epic journey. Yes. Yeah. We're going to have to have a, a party celebrating the release of that course. And, uh, Chrissy is working on, um, a FISMA version for tankers. Oh, okay. So, um, she's in the middle of research for that. Nice. But yeah, I mean, we could have a whole slew of courses that are just food, mm-hmm. like, you know, different ways of transporting food, because apparently the dairy industry has different rules, their own different rules, and mm. then the, the juice industry has specific rules in the U.S., and so she's researching, she loves research, so she's researching what's in Canada versus the U.S. to see what, you know, whether we need two courses or one course, I'm not sure yet. Nice. So that's what she's working on. Okay. And, oh, we have a new translator. Uh, I think we just mentioned that when, on the last podcast, you mentioned that she had just started. Oh, okay. Or she was starting that day or the next day or something like that. So she's translating our parking and deliveries course. Excellent. So that, she's nearly done with the translation for that. Very good. And that, yes. So she will get to experience the joys of putting it online. (laughs) Which takes me to uh, what I've been focused on, which is um, rebuilding the tools that people use for the online building of courses. So um, people may not appreciate the uh, full, intricacies, uh, full amazingness of what Jane's team creates given the lackluster tools that they've been provided to do it. So we have an in-house content creation system, a course authoring tool that I built originally, oh boy, nine years ago. 2008? No, it was the summer of 2010 because I scrambled to get the first version of it done before we went on our big RV trip to San Diego. Was I doing it in Dreamweaver before? You were. Yeah. So it moved. So see, based on that, it was awesome because having to hand code HTML pages in Dreamweaver was a nightmare. Um, but Jane still did like 30 courses or 40 courses that way. And then we uh, created this tool, uh, known internally as Endicott, which is how we create content and share that content across different courses so that all of these different variations that she's talking about for, uh, different vehicle classes or different regions can share content when it doesn't really need to be separate stuff. Um, and so it worked very well for that, but, what we discovered is that it needed a lot more tools for managing a library. The actual creation of pages is not terrible in a lot of cases. Uh, There's some things that need to be enhanced, but 
we discovered that when you have a library of a few hundred titles, which means you've got tens of thousands of images and several thousand movies, and I don't even know how many individual sound files that are all part of all of these things, it becomes a bit unruly to manage. So um, we have for the last, uh, off and on for about a year and a half, been working on a redevelopment um, to fix that and really in kind of late July or early August, got very focused on this and realized that we need to staff up across a lot of different positions. And in order to do that, we need to really have a major overhaul of some of these internal tools that are being used. So we've got a team working on that, um, focused on redeveloping not just the content creation part, but the entire process of building and managing courses in our library. And this, as much as it's not sexy stuff for customers today, it, it will, will be. It will make it a lot easier for the content team to produce more content, to update it more frequently, and to have better reporting on how it's being used and tracking of how people are using the courses, which ones get the most activity, things like which questions cause the biggest problems, and all of these kind of things that they need to have access to. And Uh, it's not my proudest moment that they have not had hardly any of that over the years. They've been doing it manually. So uh, once we get these things uh, overhauled, first version of it uh, targeted for end of October is our internal release date. Um, I am cautiously optimistic that we will get something out at that point, but there's going to need to be some use in the field and then an, an entirely new version probably six months after that. So huge effort in that area, which will make the content team's life a lot easier for building and maintaining courses. But also it is foundational work because all of these features are ultimately going to be available to customers. So it's all part of the same system. So we're going to have a scaled down version of this that is available to customers as well. So they'll be able to create their own interactive content the way Jane's team does. So well, maybe not the way... Not as Jane's good. team does, but... Well, they'll be able to use most of the same features. Yeah. They'll be able to create uh, click interactions and quizzes and pop-ups and add voiceover and mm-hmm. add movies, and they'll have the tools. Or take existing courses and customize them for... Yeah, make their own want. version yeah. of a course, all of that kind of stuff. So this all needs to be done first, uh, and it's being done now. But because it's an area that's been either... You know, overlooked, somewhat starved, or was completely unbuilt for nine years, it's a huge undertaking. And what we're finding is that we have an idea of what we need to do to give them a certain feature or make a certain feature accessible for them more easily. When and he says we, them, he means content. He means yes, my team. Yes, for the content creation people. <laughs> so we put it out there and developers will say, okay, well, let's put it out there. And even if we're not worried about exactly what the form looks like and how pretty the pages or things like that, we're just thinking about the functionality. We put it out there and as soon as you get it out there and think about using it, you realize there's five or six other things that you actually need to build to make that usable over the long term. Otherwise, you'll just end up putting out some feature that solves one problem and creates four other ones. Um, like Facebook. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, we don't. Just that have... whole, you know, let's develop stuff, release it, and then worry about what people think later. And then see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that so doesn't work. We don't really. want to do that. What we want to do is build functionality that actually makes lives better, um, not makes them more miserable. Um, so that's something that we've been focused on, and um, there's a lot of underlying sort of rebuilding of the the code that is happening to optimize things and update that update it to be more scalable and all of that, so that we have. Um, a speedier system overall, but more uh, ability to more quickly build features down the road. So lots happening in the development world with uh, new features and new functionality that nobody is going to see right now, but you will see the effects of it very soon. And the content development team will be much happier. So they will just be cranking out lots more courses yes, as a result. We'll be cheery and cheery and fun while we do it mm-hmm. yes one of the things that uh, I need to do is get the template updated as well which I have an update I just haven't gotten it updated oh yeah so a rebranded our new, version yeah, yeah our rebrand our refresh we need to make that part of the scope for this because yes now I'm remembering that all of our courses still have the old logo in mm-hmm. it which was fine a month after we updated our logo, but six months after we update our logo, that's not fine. No. So, okay. See, I've talked enough that I've created more work for myself. I know. You should really just not do that. Or more accurately, reminded myself of the work I should have done already. (laughs) All right. This is not going well for me. I'm just creating more tasks for myself. But as far as that goes, I have... uh, I have also been busy and uh, hired somebody that will take a lot of those tasks off my plate. Dum, dum, dum. More new staff. Yes. I'm very happy that we have hired a VP of, crap, what do we call it? VP of customer experience. Yes. I kept going back and forth uh, about whether we wanted customer experience or customer success, which are two totally different and regular job titles I discovered. I didn't know anything about this. I just said, we need a support manager. This is in my head. We need somebody to um, formalize what's happening in the support department uh, processes and get everything organized and optimize all of that stuff and to help out with some of the other things on the partner support side as well. Uh, But I can't just go and post a job for support manager to take a crap off my plate. Um, (laughs) I would not want those applicants. Anybody who applied to that job is not someone I want. So I had to do research and figure out what exactly is this position called. And it turned out that the best uh, title for it that matched what we actually need is customer experience. So the customer experience I learned is everything to do with your ecosystem. So from marketing to the pre-sales to onboarding to how people use and engage with the product afterwards and all the way down to the point where they eventually perhaps stop using it. So I thought that's perfect. That's exactly what we want is somebody to take on some things like the webinars and do some writing and help people understand the product and best practices, go to some of these different events that we can't get get to. So um, I have hired somebody who uh, is another uh, guy named Mark. Yeah. (laughs) What better person for the job? Our first duplicate name. Um, we had a briefly about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, but yes, it'll be the first uh, person, but it'll be easy. Uh, I guess for people calling in or sending emails, be very careful, very close. Yeah. Well, I won't oh, have to work wait. Very hard. 
His email address will have to accommodate that. He can't yes. be Mark at Carrier's Edge. No, I have already thought of that. So does it give you Mark S? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he starts... Uh, or just do his last name. No. Or ask him what he wants to do. Yeah. I'm not bothered. Well, I was thinking to do initials or something, but then he's MS and that's not going to be good. <laughs> so. so he's probably going to be Mark S. And Mark S starts October 1st. Okay. So... He will I be. I feel like I'm in grade four, Mark events. S and Mark M. Well, I thought of that too, but there is precedence here. This is how Microsoft had, did email addresses for like the first 20 years that they existed. Your corporate email address was your first name and as many letters of your last name as necessary to create something unique. So there are people that were just, you know, first name, Bill at Microsoft was Bill Gates. Um, and then the second bill was yeah. Bill S. Yeah. And then Bill ST yeah. uh, or whatever. But um, that was the process they used for a long time. And they used that until they got, I think, into the thousands of employees. Wow. Um, and then it just wasn't working anymore. Well, so at some we've point. Got, we've got the ability to do it for a little bit. Yeah. We're, we're not going to have thousands of employees for a couple months. Yeah. it will be yeah. a year or two. <laughs> both of us just had this vision of the horror of trying to staff up that much that quickly because neither of us really gets excited about hiring and it's just such a grind to be it is. It's through a rough, all of these it's one of the hardest things to do and i mean i used to do a lot of onboarding work which is fine you know you're you've got all these fresh-faced eager young people that you trying to get oriented to the company and you know I do it a little bit now too but I did it as a regular job for everybody and um, that's one thing but actually trying to find the right person and second guessing yourself and trying to you know figure out what exactly are the skills that are going to be required and how are they going to be successful and all of that stuff that is a lot of work yeah that's some well and I find it very irritating weeding through all the garbage because we list in the uh, posting all of the things that are required. Must have this, must that, have that. X number of years experience. And one of the things that we always say is must reside in Canada. This is uh, all of our staff work remotely. So you can live pretty much anywhere. But for tax reasons and other regulatory things, you got to be in the country. The amazing number of resumes that we get from people that are outside the country. It's like, can you not read? Come on. Well, they don't read the whole thing. Or they figure, well, maybe they'll do it anyway. I'll yeah. throw it out there. And it's like, yeah. But can you imagine what it must be like for these people who have to hire drivers all the time? Recruiting drivers and hiring drivers and that process. Although, I mean, it's different when it's your job. I think that one of the reasons that we don't like certain parts of our job is that it's not really what we ever wanted to do. Yeah. I never really wanted to hire people. That was not my dream that I wanted to hire. Although I wanted to have more management experience. So I didn't really realize. <laughs> didn't realize the crappy parts of that. Well, I didn't realize that hiring was so, um, was such a, I don't want to say it's a chore. It's it's hard and it's not our skill set. Mm -hmm. So we have to, anything that we are not naturally good at, we have to spend a lot of brain power trying to 
make good decisions and trying to figure out, well, if I was good at this, what would I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, and we talked about this early, earlier, you and I, about how we've spent a lot of time building our company and doing things we're not naturally good at. Yeah. So we've had to learn a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And just by, um, trying things and discarding the things that aren't working and reading and, and research and all of that stuff. And we've almost, I wouldn't say abandoned, but ignored or put on the back burner, the things that we love and that are, that we're Mm -hmm. good at. Yeah. And that is, so having to hire more people to take over the jobs that we used to do is actually kind of good because then we're going to be able to get back to the things that we actually really like. And that's really been our, I guess our philosophy for the last little while with all hiring is when it gets to the point where anybody is doing a bunch of the stuff they don't really want to do, let's break that out into another job and hire somebody who actually likes doing it. And another challenge with hiring is figuring out what the actual title of the job is because we mm-hmm. haven't been in the job market. So yeah. For a long time, we had a very small staff and we weren't hiring up and we weren't really dealing with, um, you know, resumes and job applicants. So the jobs have changed and they didn't exist when I was looking for a job. So um, especially in terms of content, there are so many different people and titles because we're thinking about a graphic a graphics person. We're just going to say mm-hmm. graphics person, mm-hmm. but there's graphics designers, there's graphic artists, there's graphics. There's illustrator is separate. Yeah. There's 3d, there's 2d. And you know, I kind of want to, we want somebody who can do some 3d animation, but you look for 3d animation job and you get 50 different job titles. You get 3d illustrator for artists, uh, 3d illustrator for models, 3d um, animator of landscape. Well, you get people that do the stills and the ones that will actually, uh, create the objects. And that's like a whole job of its own is I uh, just create objects. Somebody else comes along and does the motion animation. Um, you know, somebody else will be putting it together to do all of the effects, things like lighting and, uh, smoke and air effects and all of that other stuff. That's a whole job. And then you have compositors that put all of these pieces together. So, I don't know. What do I want? I want all of that in one person. And I'm assuming that there are people who want to do all of that, Mm -hmm. who want to work on smaller projects and do all of it rather than, I mean, these are people who are working for video game companies and, and animation. Yeah. And and some people are probably interested in being one part of a large team on a video game or uh, special effects shots for TV and movies. But there are likely other people who would be happier to have a steady job without the, the boom and bust of the production cycle um, and be doing all of the work themselves. So Yeah. But that's only part but of it. But it's the same thing with content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got apparently, and I always thought that instructional designer was the job that I did, but research isn't really part of instructional design, which I think is part of our our issue is that you can't do this job without having a very, very uh, firm grasp of how you research, how to do it effectively, how to find things when they're not just readily available. And just looking something up online, Mm -hmm. just Googling something is not, that's not the only thing because you have to then 
you can't just Google something and get that answer. You have to try and figure out what it's called um, or, you know, what is what I'm reading actually real? And, you know, are there other resources? Or is, it, is it in YouTube? Is it in this? You know, how do I read regulations? It's, it's a lot more involved. And instructional designers tend to um, have the job of let's take some PowerPoint from a subject matter expert and dump it into Articulate. Well, they they start with a base assumption that all the content that's relevant has been provided for them. So they just work with that content that they've got. So if they have to go and source that content, that's not their skill set for the most part. So They say that it is. They say that they like it or, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, no, I love research, but their idea of what research mm-hmm. is and that's going in and filling in a few blanks. They got the PowerPoint slides and they have some questions about it. So they'll go and look it up. But somebody else has established the scope of that course and the title for it by giving the base content and the instructional designer really just has to go and fill in some of the blanks. So that's not the kind of research that we have to do. But it's also knowing when to do research. So for an example, we had someone who was working for us who was using um, a handbook as research as the basis for her research. And there were blanks in it like crazy, but she didn't have the skill level to think about putting herself in the driver's place and thinking about what I would, what she would need to know as a driver. And so she kind of just left all the holes there. And as soon as I read what she had done, it's like, yeah, but there's holes here. Like, like, how do you do this? How do you know when to the A, B, and C, and she didn't have those answers, and she'd never looked, and she'd never even thought of them. She was just rewriting mm-hmm. things that she found in, in source material. and Yeah, often that's not enough. It's never enough, well, especially for this job. It's never enough. You have to go to at least three sources to go and make sure that you're actually saying the right thing. And even when you are, you do that, and sometimes you find that there's two different there's a whole two different viewpoints on it. So it's, then you have to figure out which one is right. And then I had a conversation with Fanny um, in translation because we couldn't find, she found an article about GPSs and we have a link to a, a list of different GPSs that drivers can use that there are useful. And she said, well, can I, if I find a French equivalent, can I use it? I'm like, sure, yes, that's what we want you to do. And the only French equivalent that she could find was from France. So Mm. all of the prices are in euros. It's the (laughs) same technology, but everything's in euros. And she's saying, so should I use that? And so there's a question. Mm. Do you use that or do you not? And so I thought about it for a minute and I was thinking, well, really? I have no clue. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know whether people who are French speaking in Canada care about French websites. Like, I, would I care about a British website? I don't know. Yeah. What's worse, something in French with European prices or something with Canadian prices in English? In English. Yeah. So she's going to go to our to the SMEs that she sure. has, like, because we use our customers as subject matter experts as well. We get them to review things. And so that's where she's going to go find it out. Because if drivers are fine with seeing a French uh, language article that uses euros, then I'm good. Uh, who am I to say, no, you can't do that? Yeah. So we're discovering that research is basically a job of its own. 
for mm-hmm. all of these courses. And even the challenge of figuring out what the course should be about. I mean, the, the requests that we get <laughs> always crack me up because we never get somebody saying, we need a course that covers this, 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 and this. And here are the objectives that need to be oh, no. uh, met at the end of it. No, you get somebody, you may because get a three in the, word. In corporate, in the corporate world, they will say, you must do it this long. It has to be an hour long. It has to cover these objectives. The audiences are these people. Mm-hmm. And here's the background on why we need it. Yeah. And that even if you don't have any content, that gives you the starting point where you can go and figure it out. But the oh, kind and of- the person that you need to go to talk to to yeah. get the rest of the content. Here we get a uh, the one that we were talking about yesterday was um, say was it tanker safety or fuels. Tanker safety. Delivering fuel safely, something no, like that. you're or never getting those tanker three words safety. in such a, a useful combination like that. But we've had like six requests. Tank requ- safety, I think is yeah, what you Yeah, we've had six requests for it. I have no idea what it is. Yeah, now, the people who have requested it, we're going to ask them. Sure. And then they're going to tell us what it is. But that's what you have to do is yeah. you have to go, okay, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Nobody has given me any documentation, so... One of my favorites. Let's go the, look. Uh, one that we got years ago that was sort of the one that opened my eyes to this. Somebody said, do you have a fuel course? And I'm like, I don't know. Fuel, that's an entire industry. <laughs> you know, there could be 400 courses that are fuel courses. What do you want covered? And then through process of elimination, follow-up questions and research, what they really meant is, do you have a course on fuel efficiency for drivers? Oh. This was back when fuel costs were higher. Um, and so we went and built one. That was the genesis of that course, but that's the kind of request you get. Cause that could be a fuel course could be TDG for fuel trucks. It could be, could be something about the, um, the different additives and like the fuel additives and yeah, fluids it and could be put in there. It could be, it could be about how to use tank, the fueling network. Tanker safety. <laughs> it could be. I, I, don't maybe, know. Yeah, maybe I, we have tanker safety. But you know what's interesting about the food course that Chrissy's working on is that. So I did the FISMA course a while ago, and I did the food safety when the FIS, the Food Safety Modernization Act first came out. Everybody was asking us for a, a FISMA course, and. When I did it, I really focused on, I, it was basically reverse because I, that seemed to be the, the basic people who were concerned about it as far as I was aware. But there's a whole, what I didn't realize was not just refrigerated trucks. It's, or like the cargo vans that are mm-hmm. refer, reefers with the reefer uh, thing on it, but it's dairy and juice and like tank tankers and, um, what do you call it? The those uh, trailers that have the the big V shape and the the, they, the bottom. Oh yeah, the bulk trailers. And I didn't realize that we are probably going to end up with three or four versions of hmm. the FISMA course or food safety that is basically for all of these different vehicle types. And one of the things that one of my people asked me was like, well, should I, you know, what about if someone, you know, has this kind of truck or has this kind of trailer? Will people be confused? Be, oh, this is what it was. 
Because we had the beginning, we have sort of a general food safety part, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, wash your hands, make sure it's clean, do this, blah, 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 blah. And then there's more of the specifics about what you do with your vehicle. It's more, it's about figuring out what you should do and then figuring out for your vehicle. And the question was, well, what about if they have a different, what if they switch vehicles? Like, what if they're driving a tanker one day and a reefer the next? And I'm like, no, that doesn't happen. (laughs) But it's interesting what people outside the industry don't even think about. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them where you think that you're a truck driver, you're going to be driving any kind of truck. And that's not how it goes at all. Yeah. it's It can sometimes be a whole different career. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's a very clear life choice or career choice as to where you're going and what kind of work you want to do because of what's involved in the pickup and delivery and scheduling and all that other stuff. Yeah. It's not like one day you're doing drive van and the next day you're doing flatbed oversized heavy haul. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not hauling boulders the next yeah. day. And then, uh, yeah. Carrying fuel in a couple of double trailers the day after that. Yeah. Well, even if, even if the company that you work for does all of those things, which they probably, well, you Some never of them know. do. The larger ones might. But you're never doing that. You're never doing those different jobs. Unless, like, this is a totally different job mm-hmm. that you would have to either apply for or ask for and then have the requirements to do or be trained. And yeah. Well, it's a little bit like saying, well, if you work at a tech company, one day you're writing code, the next day you're doing graphics, the day after that you're doing sales. Well, no, that's not how it works you're either writing code and you're writing a specific part of the code or you're doing marketing and graphics and that, and that's what you stick with. And it's kind of the same thing for drivers. When you work in a, in a office job or like basically non-trucking, any t- anything where you're working in the same room mm-hmm. or the same building, right? So people who are driving are not working in the same building. It's not like anybody who is working in a corporate environment sees a trucking environment and understands that. Mm-hmm. So I can see that people would not yeah, have that understanding. Yeah, I understand where the questions come from or where those assumptions come from. But yeah, it's those things that you have to sort of get through and you know, get comfortable with it and uh, understand that in order to build the content effectively. Yeah. Yeah. But Very I do I do need a whole bunch of boosted food safety courses. All right. Yeah. And so. yeah, much like practical Mm-hmm. Cargo securement, there's like a whole slew of courses. Mm-hmm. Where's Rolf's handbook on practical food safety? That would save us some time. Don't, don't even give it, don't even, he would probably roll over. His head would explode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so what have we got coming up? You've got uh, obviously a bunch of courses that you're working on. I've got a bunch of product stuff that I'm working on. We've got new staff coming on, but we also have... The thing that we should talk a little bit about, we've got a couple of upcoming events that we're going to be at and hope Mm -hmm. to see some people there. We are heading into our very busy month of shows. And um, between now and the next episode of our podcast, I think we will have done three, possibly four shows. Well, we've got the WIT conference next week um, that Courtney's going to be at, at manning our booth there. And then we've got the Fleet Safety Council Conference in Toronto um, next Friday, so Which a week from tomorrow. It's going to be like a field trip for, for yeah. content. So normally there's a couple of us that go. Well, I guess Courtney went last year to that. She's getting to, to skip it this year. Um, but you're bringing your team. Um, so there's going to be a bunch of us there. 
Then right after that is MCE in San Diego, uh, which we are looking forward to. I love San Diego and uh, I'm looking forward to that show. It's always a, a fun time. Hopefully no earthquakes or natural disasters. Yeah, San Diego doesn't get too much. Although, uh, actually, the last time I was in San Diego was when TCA was there. And the day before that conference, there had been, I think, the remnants of the, Mex- the so there was one in Japanese Mexico. tsunami or no, something or hurricane or something. But there was, um, yeah, there was a waves came in because a bunch of people went down to the water to see. Oh, the, um, big waves. Yeah, that came in. But they were, there wasn't that much left of them that was like a, a foot taller than normal and that was about it. But um, yeah, hopefully it'll be smooth. Uh, be a good time there. And the, you've got the Surface Transportation Summit in Toronto. Um, that's right. That's, coming up middle of the month. Yep. And uh, there's even more stuff at the end of the month, but that's just between now and the next episode. Well, of this I'm also going to be on the Dave Nemo show yes. on the ninth. So, yes, Jane's um, timekeeping and uh, I guess sleep schedule is going to be biting her in the butt. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, the uh, ATA's MCE finishes on a Tuesday night with their big banquet which I'm excited is featuring Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience. That's going to be very cool for all the headbangers out there. And not me. Yeah. <laughs> but that after that banquet. Um, Why can't they have pink? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, probably the, yeah, I was going to say maybe the women in trucking and then no, they've got a spokesperson now that they've just announced yeah. a country singer. So I don't think I'm going to get pink. So we have the banquet, um, probably going to end 10, 11 Pacific time. Jane has to do a radio show with Dave Nemo the next morning. And she, At six. today she's like, oh, it's 9 a.m. It's the same as what we always do. And I said, yeah, but we're going to be in Pacific time. So it's actually six. So uh, shortly, a few short hours after the end of the banquet, Jane will be on the radio. So I think it's going to be a low gravelly voice. I don't think so. I think I will be very chipper and regular. Okay. And then I'm going to completely collapse. going to crash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Two minutes after the show's over. So yes, check that out. Uh, what is that? The 9th? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesday, October 9th? Yeah. And um, yeah, that should be a good time. So uh, those are all the things that we are working on now. And I think at this point, uh, we probably uh, could wrap it up. Okay. Sounds Thanks. like a plan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Have a good day. 